Welcome back to the new episode of Fame and Fortune and Everything That Goes With It from the Fans First Sports Network College Football Feed. My name is Matt Timonini, and I am joined, as always, by... Are we sticking with the West Coast Bureau Chief? Like, I feel like I say that all the time, but I don't know that I have full authority to deem you that, Jamie. I... You know what? I... You can call me the West Coast Bureau Chief, or you can call me, like, the West Coast boss, the West Coast princess. <laughs> the, I'm just, like, giving myself royal titles. I love that. Yeah. West West Coast Chaos Correspondent. Like, I, I like the, the alliteration Duchess of, of Los Angeles. Yeah, the Chaos <laughs> Correspondent is, I think, a title I can give myself. Okay, feels good. It feels good. It feels right. That feels good to me. Yeah, so I am joined by the West Coast Chaos Correspondent, Jamie Urich. Jamie, how are you feeling after uh, two full weeks of college football action? Uh, we got chaos this weekend. Yeah. It was a chaotic weekend of football, so I'm happy. I was loving my life. Yeah, that's really all you can ask for is some chaos. There weren't a ton of, like, super competitive, interesting games, like, in terms of helping determine the national title picture, although there were some of those, which we will obviously get to. But it was just fun. Like, just watching college football is fun, and I think after nine months of not having it, Jamie, especially early on, anytime we get something wonky and something weird, I am here for it, and I'm here for all of the weirdness and idiosyncrasies that can only really happen in college football. But here on Fame and Fortune and everything that goes with it, we talk specifically about the college football playoff, the Heisman Trophy, and eventually down the road, not necessarily early on in the season, some of the other major awards that college football players and coaches, for that matter, will have bestowed upon them. So, Jamie, how we do this is we break it up into three little sections. The first section is we pick who we would put in the college football playoff based only on the information that we have seen thus far in this season. So we are just factoring in everything that happens in week two and everything that happened in week one and in week zero, if that matters as well. Then we predict what we think will actually be the college football playoff field by the time December rolls around. And then we run through who we think deserve to be Heisman Trophy finalists when the time comes and everybody heads to New York City. So let's go over what we had as our as our top four last week, Jamie. Do you remember yours? I have it written down if you want me to go through it. I don't remember mine. Okay. But I know I I know I blew up my initial preseason predictions. Yes. Yes. Well, it, it, following week one, you had Alabama at number four, Penn State at number three, North Carolina at two, and number one, Florida State. I had Washington at number four, Colorado at number three, and then UNC and FSU in two and one. So we had the top two the same, different three and four. I'm interested to see what happens after we've seen another full week of action. So Jamie, hit me with your number four. Let's see where we're at and let's uh, let's get this ball rolling. Um, my number four this week would be Ole Miss. Oh, okay. They were at number 20. So obviously in the real world, this is not a leap that is feasible. But based on just these two games, you know, they beat number 24 Tulane 37 to 20. You do have to wonder what this game would have looked like if Tulane starting quarterback Michael Pratt was not Mm -hmm. out of this game with a knee injury. And, you know, Ole Miss didn't always play their best football. The running game was a little bit shoddy. The offensive line had a really rough first half. Um, But Jackson Dart, I think, really carried this offense beautifully. Um, He led the Rebels with a 17 for 27 performance through the air. 
went for 267 yards total. Um, and they're coming off of like, granted, they were playing not a not a hard game in week one. Um, but that was a a whomping. And I so I think that when you combine like their 73 points in week one and beating a ranked opponent on the road in week two, they slide into that number four slot for me. Okay, I can deal with that. Uh, I have no no problems there. Um, I'm going to go with another team that pulled off a fairly big top 25 victory. And I'm going to go in my number four spot with the Miami Hurricanes. Miami beat Texas A&M at home in in South Beach, uh, albeit. But they beat them fairly handily, 48 to 13. This was a game that went back and forth early on. Um, Texas A&M went up 10-0 early and then ended up going up 17 to 7, but really starting in the I don't know, 4 minutes into the second quarter, Miami dominated. It was a game that I watched mostly. I had some other stuff on, but kept a pretty decent eye on. Tyler Van Dyke, the quarterback for Miami, was 21 of 30 for 374 yards and five touchdown passes. He had three different players with five or more catches and really spread it around all the way. It was a team effort. Not only did the offense really thrive, but after you know the first quarter plus, they did a fairly decent job of shutting down a really good Aggie offense. Had five tackles for loss, and and it was really a pretty good game. You know, I looked at you know Texas A and M over the years, and you say, if only they could ever get an offense. Their defense has always been so good. If only they could get an offensive coordinator who could really take advantage of all their talent. And now that it seems they have a pretty decent offensive uh, game plan and a bunch of talent. Connor Wegman, the quarterback for Texas A&M, was pretty stellar other than throwing two interceptions, but their defense just could not do much of anything. So I was really impressed with Miami, and much as it pains me as an Ohio State grad and somebody who lives in Orlando to say I've got Miami in the top four, I'm going to go ahead and go with the Canes here first, Jamie. Hey, um, I have the Canes coming in a little higher than you do. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll make that argument later. But okay, good. So are they in three or do you have someone else in three? I have somebody else in three. Okay, go for it. Um, I've got Washington State <laughs> coming in at number three. They upset number 19, Wisconsin, 31 to 22, which was a huge upset win. I feel like Washington State like has a lot on the line to prove this season because they might not have a future at a Power 5 conference. But like they showed that they belonged in a power conference in this game. Um, Cameron Ward went 212 yards, two touchdowns, had another 43 yards rushing. Those two rushing plays for 43 yards were on scrambles that came during an absolutely crucial fourth quarter drive for Washington State. They held the Badgers like running back duo to just 69 yards on 19 carries, which is nice. Enormous from a defensive standpoint. I was just really impressed with what I saw. And I think that what the number one takeaway for me was this is a, you know, they're forcing turnovers. They're holding that running back to team to minimal yardage. They belong in the power five and they've had some questions about whether that is true and whether that will be the case moving forward is still TBD. But um, I was really impressed with what I saw and I think they deserve more respect than they're getting. Totally fair. Uh, I don't, I do not have them in my top four, but I did watch that game and, you know, Wisconsin made it close, uh, in the second half. 
the Cougs kind of were dominating in the first first half of the game, and then Wisconsin came on, and you're like, oh, okay, here we go. The better team has figured it out. It was their first road game under a new head coach, under Luke Fickle. They've got it figured out. They're going to end up steamrolling in the second half. But Wazoo said, nah, not so fast, my friend. They really did a good job of kind of tightening things up uh, towards the middle of the third quarter, into the fourth quarter, and really did a good job of, of pulling out that victory, which is, like you said, a really big deal for them right now. Uh, with everything going on out in the Pac-12. My number three is going to be the same as it was last week. I am sticking with the Colorado Buffaloes in uh, in third place. They obviously followed up their huge win against TCU with a what used to be a rivalry game against Nebraska. And let's be honest, Jamie, Nebraska sucks. Like, they're just not good. Uh, Matt Rule, as we all know, has done an incredible job over the years of rebuilding programs, Temple, Baylor, hopefully doing it uh, out in Lincoln now, but they don't happen in the, in the first season. Usually it takes time for him to tear things down to studs and then build it back up. Nebraska was bad, but like part of that is because Colorado was really good. Nebraska's defense played fairly well in the first half. They held Colorado to, to zero points in the first ha- in the first quarter, but their offense is just putrid. Like watching Jeff Sims, who is their quarterback, just continually turn the ball over. Um, he had three turnovers in the first half. It, it was just really, really ugly. And some of that, you obviously give credit to Colorado and say their defense was taking those away. Some of them were just Sims being being bad. Um, but then over on offense, like after they kind of figured some things out, Nebraska's defense is clearly better than TCU's is, but Shador Sanders still had 393 yards passing two touchdowns, 74% completion percentage, and really, you know, got a lot of guys involved, had two wide receivers, uh, go for eight or more catches. Xavier Weaver had 10 for 170 and a touchdown. And then Jimmy Horn Jr. had eight receptions for 64 yards. And then, of course, we have Travis Hunter, who, you know, was my Heisman pick after week one. He was three three receptions for 73 yards. And then there was also a touchdown pass to uh, Tavares Dawson as well. So really did a great job of kind of following up that big TCU win that got them into my top four. And they didn't do anything to lose that spot. I think that that win was still really impressive. And when you look at the fact that they have a 22-point win over a Big Ten team, albeit not a great Big Ten team, but one where there were at least some decent expectations of having some success under Matt Rule in the first season, I'm comfortable holding them at three. Okay, I like that. Um, I love that I've turned you into Colorado <laughs> believer. believer. Yeah, well, I'm going to take credit for it as if like Deion Sanders and his team didn't turn you into a believer. I'm taking credit. Yeah, very good. Uh, all right. Who do you have at number two? Is this where you have the Miami Hurricanes? This is where I have the Miami Hurricanes. I was okay. so impressed with what they did against A&M on Saturday. Um, we'll get to my thoughts on Tyler Van Dyke in a little bit. But, um, you know, he threw career high five touchdown passes. They kind of started a little bit slow, right? Like A&M jumped out to that 10 point first quarter lead. But the second that Miami found its groove, they were just like in control the rest of the game. And I just, I don't know that we've seen enough from the other teams that like the committee would rank in the top four for me to put them ahead of Miami at this point in time, because Miami has like pulled it off against a really high quality team. And 
other teams are not playing big games like that yet. And so like, you know, maybe when Georgia starts to play SEC opponents that are yeah. they've got they've got South Carolina this week. So not a great SEC team, but it's an SEC team nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Then like maybe I'll rethink that. But for right now, Miami has proven that they can hold their own with the big dogs. And I liked what I saw. You're through three picks. And I'm going to be honest with you, like I'm going to argue with you no matter what you do next. So I'm I'm a little curious as to how you came to your decision as to who number one was, because no matter who you pick, you're leaving somebody out that I have on my list. Because at number two, I have the Longhorns of the University of Texas. They at number two. Yes, you're forgetting who we had at number one last week. How do you not have Florida State in your top four at all? Because I don't. Because, <laughs> because, because you I forgot am, they exist. I am the chaos coordinator. No, I didn't forget they exist. Okay. All right. We'll get there. We'll get there. We can argue as to why I have Texas at two. But here's the thing. Texas was great. If you if if you made me flip Florida State and Texas, I, I could not argue that much with you. The reason I have Florida State higher is just because I thought it was a, a better, more complete win. By score margin, it was bigger. It's 45 to 21 over LSU. Texas won 34 to 24 over Alabama. Now, granted, they did it on the road, while Florida State technically did it at a neutral site, even though it was in the state of Florida. So they, you know, Texas kind of gets an extra benefit of the doubt there. But both of these teams have had huge wins so far this season. I also thought coming into the season that LSU would be better than Alabama. So I'm giving a little bit of credit to that. But you can't argue with the fact that Texas was great in, in that game against Alabama. Quinn Ewers looked the part of the former number one player in the entire country. He went 24 for 38 for 349 yards passing and three touchdowns. Jatavion uh, Sanders had five receptions for 114 yards. It was just really a, a strong effort. Jalen Milrow, who we, we had you know a lot of nice things to say about him last week after Alabama's first weekend, not so great. 14 of 27, 255 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Wasn't necessarily a, a great performance. It was certainly hampered by the fact that Texas's defense looked fantastic. They had five sacks, nine TFLs. Overall, just a really well-rounded performance. And the thing that I liked the most about the Longhorns' approach to this game, Jamie, is that Sark didn't play scared. So often we've seen, not just with Stark, but through the past couple decades of Texas football, they get into these spots where they can, it can get too big for them. Sometimes they can pull off wins like this, but a lot of times they get close and things go sideways late. Um, we also see that they lose games to teams that they shouldn't quite a bit. We'll see if that happens this year, but they had their pedal to the metal on both sides of the ball. They were attacking downfield with Quinn Ewers, who I, I'd said didn't look great throwing the ball downfield last week. Uh, looked much better in, in the second in the second game, and the defense was aggressive. So I, I have them at number two. I you obviously have them at number one. I could not argue with you either way, but it was splitting hairs between them and the Seminoles. Yeah, that you know that's that's fair actually, because um, I did. I also had LSU being better than Bama at the beginning of the season and like probably should have given a little more weight to that. I think the thing about this Texas win for me that, that was so striking. And again, all the stats that you read off are extremely impressive. Quinn Ewers also had no interceptions and uh, Jatavian Sanders, Adonai Mitchell and Xavier Worthy combined for 267 receiving yards. So like overall pretty like well-rounded win. 
the the thing that that was so striking was the momentum just felt like you said they weren't playing scared like it was texas had control of this game the entire game other than like a very very brief moment in the third and then they just got it back together like this is one of those games this the last time they played bama won the game by a single point off a last minute field goal this game texas simply outplayed them like it is just as simple as that they outplayed alabama they were the better team on the field and so i i think for that like they just looked so calm cool and collected the whole game in a game that would have made a lot of other teams nervous like they played like a number one team yes absolutely the the interesting thing will be if they can keep that edge going in to play Kansas State in Manhattan, Kansas. I don't know if they play on the road or not, but if they play Kansas State, who's I think is a very good team, their top 25 team. But if they when they go play uh, uh, the Jayhawks, when they go play even TCU and Baylor, who haven't had great starts to the year, I, I'm sure they'll be able to get up against Oklahoma. But like the teams that often trip Texas up, will they be able to to maintain that momentum? We'll see. That'll be the difference between Texas being back and Texas kind of falling on their face like they have so many years in the past. All right. So obviously that means that I have Florida state at number one, no surprise there. I had them number one last week after the, the, the big win over LSU, they played Southern miss this week. It was 66 to 13. Nothing that they did in this game made you be like, Oh my God, that was incredible. But they didn't have to, like it was, it was fine. Jordan Travis, Only threw 475 yards, but he had two touchdowns, and then they got him out of the game. Um, He also ran for 20 yards. He was 15 of 29 passing, though, which isn't a great percentage, but what can you do? So nothing that they did, and I'll be honest with you, I barely watched it. I had it in a quad box on YouTube TV Multiview, so I didn't watch it super closely, but they won 66 to 13. I had him as the number one team last week. I I really can't come up with an argument to drop them. So yeah, I'm keeping them at number one, Jamie. Okay, Jamie, we are back and we have done what our top fours would be if we were basing it just off of weeks zero, one, and two. Now we're going to look at December whatever, whatever that Tuesday is following championship weekend, to say who we think the committee will end up putting in their final four. Following week one action, you had Washington at number four, Penn State at number three, Florida State at number two, and Georgia at number one. I had Georgia at number four, LSU at number three, Ohio State at two, and Florida State at one. Um, Why don't you go ahead and tell me what your new college football playoff prediction is after week two? You know, you're going to yell at me, I think. Um, My one and two remain unchanged. I still think Georgia is getting that number one seed. And I think that Florida State is going to secure that number two spot. I have swapped out Penn State for Michigan. Okay. At uh, number three. At number three. And in the number four spot, oh my gosh, this top four really hurts my soul so badly. Uh-huh. But I have Notre Dame. Okay. 
Well, so that is two teams that our mutual alma mater, Ohio State, will play this year. Does that mean you think Ohio State's losing to both? Yes. I'm not going to be mad at you. You call it like you see it. Like uh, okay. I, yeah. Yeah. I I think that when we play Notre Dame in two weeks, if we win that game, I think I still think we will lose to Penn State. And I think we're going to lose to Michigan, given the way that these teams are currently playing. With that said, OSU does have moments where they are kind of a slow burn, like they take the first couple of weeks. So maybe OSU will come out totally swinging against Notre Dame, and then I will rethink that. But based on two weeks of play, even though... Kyle McCord was much better this week than he was last week. Still, I still don't feel confident in this being a playoff team, given how good Michigan is, Penn State is, Notre Dame is. Like their strength of schedule this year, this year is really hard, and they're not as good as they've been in the past. And I think this schedule would be hard even for a team that was a playoff contender. Like even last year's team probably would have had to like duke it out in some of these games. If you had like this year's Penn State team and last year's OSU team, I don't think that it's necessarily like a guarantee. I think that's one of those things that you have to play the game. And depending on how the wind blows that day, it could have really gone either way. So with this Ohio State team playing the strength of schedule, given how good those teams are, I have some concerns. I am less concerned about Wisconsin than I initially was, though. Fair. All right, so my four as of now, I'm going to keep three of my four. I'm going to keep Georgia at four, LSU at three, and Florida State at one. I have replaced Ohio State with Texas. Just looking at Florida State in the ACC, like I don't see who beats them in the ACC. Maybe, I don't know if they even play Notre Dame, uh, but maybe in it like that weird ACC Notre Dame thing, maybe they lose to them. But I, Clemson's not beating them. Uh, maybe, no, maybe North Carolina, but I would take Florida State in and going through there and being undefeated. I would, I legitimately think they could be undefeated and get that number one st- spot. Texas again looks great. I'm still holding on to my preseason expectation that LSU would win the SEC, um, but Georgia can get in as well. So we'll see what happens there, and uh, we'll move forward. All right, so okay. let's talk about our Heisman finalists. We are not going to say these are the four or five people that we each think is going to be there, but we're going to talk about the people who, between the two of us, we think will be in New York City after that first weekend in December. Last week, we had Michael Penix Jr., Jordan Travis, Drake May, Travis Hunter, Shador Sanders, Caleb Williams, and DJ Uyunglele. I think we were both fairly on board with all of those, except for you liked Drake May. I did not like Drake May in that spot. So let's go back and forth, see who we still have in that mix. uh, And we'll go from there. So why don't you go ahead and start us off, Jamie? Yeah. I mean, I still have Caleb Williams in my number one spot. Like he's what he is doing this season is just absolutely goofy. There's no doubt about it. He was 19 of 21 this weekend with 281 pass yards. He's a 90.5% completion rate. He had three touchdowns, 
plus 21 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown. So three touchdowns through the air and a fourth rushing touchdown. He's got 878 yards on the season after two games, 12 touchdowns and no interceptions. Like that's bonkers. I maybe, maybe when they like really get into it against a ranked opponent, I just like a team with a pulse. I just, I, what Caleb Williams is capable of and he did it last season. So I don't see him like losing his talent. Um, is just goofy. Like, it's goofy. He has to be in this conversation. He has to be in this conversation every time that we have it. It's nonsense. He's unbelievable. He's so fun to watch. I'm still all in on Caleb Williams. Okay. Totally fair. I'm going to bring in our first new addition to this list. And I think you have to put Quinn Ewers in there after his performance against Alabama. 24, 38, 349 yards and three touchdown passes. Uh, also threw in a whole 11 yards rushing on three attempts. So, I mean, I think we talked about it earlier. Like, I think he's got to be in there. Yeah, he, I have him in mind as well. I just, I can't imagine having this conversation without him uh, based on how he performed against Alabama. Those are numbers that he showed. He showed why he was the number one prospect coming into his his first year. And I just, I, yep. I think he's, he's the value that people put on him before he had proven it is show like he is showing that that was not misplaced trust all he had to do was cut the mullet and he'd be great so there you go um okay so who who's your next pick on this list so shore sanders over at colorado matt talked about his performance this weekend but he has seven touchdowns 903 passing yards in two weeks and then you add to that the fact that nebraska's defense didn't necessarily make it easy for colorado this week still he put up 23 second half points And the thing for me that also really stood out was like, he did a lot of scrambling to avoid sacks this week that could have changed the momentum of that game. And he just was like cool and collected and thought on his feet quickly and effectively. And that's what you want to see in a Heisman contender. Yeah, I'm totally good with that one as well. I'm going to stick with another guy we had last week and go with Michael Penix Jr. Yes, they were only playing Tulsa, but Tulsa's a decent team at times. But he was 28 of 38 for 409 yards. He had three touchdowns, did throw one interception. But based off of what he did in this game and during week one, I, I, I think the former Indiana quarterback deserves to be in this conversation. I think he's fantastic. I think we saw, especially as Ohio State folks, we saw what he was capable of during his first couple years in Bloomington. And I'm just kind of happy that he gets an opportunity to show that to everybody because he's better than he ever possibly could have been for the Hoosiers because they're just a terrible offensive program. And I'm very, very happy for this young man through all of the injuries that he's had in his career, that he's coming out on the other side. And not only does he look like he's going to be a great college quarterback, could be a potential Heisman finalist, if not winner. And I think he's making himself a shit ton of money for when he eventually gets drafted in the NFL. Yeah. And you know what? Like good for him. Here's the thing. When we talk about Heisman stuff, I have to let my like, team loyalties and things like that go out the window because yeah not that i have any any beef with this particular team but like this is something that sets somebody up for the rest of their life like this is so much bigger than like a couple of years in college when it comes to the the performance that it takes to be a heisman finalist and what that does for your draft prospects and all of these things and like this is a guy who always had that talent and didn't have the rest of the puzzle pieces 
to allow him to showcase that. And I'm so happy that he has found a program where he gets to showcase that because what that does for the rest of his life is so much bigger than like any, you know, like it's just so much bigger than that. When you're that talented, you deserve to have a platform. Absolutely. All right. Who's next on your list, Jamie? Um, I am going to throw in a kind of left field, not kind of left field, super left field. <laughs> um, okay, let's go. I've got Audric Estime, Notre Dame's running back. Wow. Especially coming from you. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, it, it's it is absolutely crazy. Um, He is leading the NCAA in rushing yards right now. He put up 134 yards on 14 carries with two touchdowns including an 80 yard return in the second quarter in Notre Dame's like whomping of NC state this weekend. He has four touchdowns so far this season. And like, I guess we're going to see what happens when they play OSU, how he holds up against like a defense that's worth its weight. But I think that this Notre Dame team is like, unfortunately the real deal. And I think that he's going to be like an enormous weapon for them. And I'm not writing him off yet as a Heisman contender. I think he could be like a dark horse contender that no one talks about. And then by the end of the season, Notre Dame is like in the top four and everyone's like, oh, shoot, we better pay attention to this guy. That's totally fair. I will say you said he's leading the country in rushing yards. That's true. But they also played in week zero. So like he has an unfair advantage over most people. He is all the way down at 14th in terms of yards per game. Comparing apples to apples, still very good. 14 is still very good. But a little bit of an asterisk on on what he's accomplished so far, just because they did get to play Navy during week zero. That's fair. That's fair. That's a, a good asterisk to call out for our listeners. Um, yeah, I just I've got my eye on him. Sure. Um, he's one that I don't think we can necessarily say. You know, if we like took his performance up to this point, is it necessarily like Heisman contender? Like he wouldn't beat out other people for the Heisman at this point, but I I think that it's still so early in the season that I'm he's someone that I'm kind of like tracking in my periphery to see like okay when they start to play these other teams is he gonna then yeah maybe we'll be the guy who like pulls ahead or moves himself away from the pack that no one's really expecting um, and so for that reason I'm throwing him in just because if he does do that it'll be really fun to say I called it in week two. Well, hopefully in week four, he uh, goes for like 12 carries for 18 yards or something. But we'll get to that eventually. I'm going to throw out a guy who I mentioned last week who didn't have huge numbers in week two, mainly because he his team played an FCS team and they got up so big he didn't play a whole lot. But that's Oregon State quarterback DJ Uyunglele. He only had 107 yards passing, but he did have two touchdowns throwing and another one rushing. So he had a total of three touchdowns and they got him out of the game. And in fact, his backup quarterback threw just as many pass attempts as he did. So I had him after he had a huge week one, still threw up three touchdowns in limited duty against an FCS team. I'm keeping him in there for week two. I like that. Uh, All right. So anybody else on your list here, Jamie? No, I think that's it. I mean, Jordan Travis was someone that we talked about last week, but he and I don't I I don't think he's like out of contention, but he he did have a uh, he didn't have a Heisman week this week. Um, And I don't think that eliminates him from being a Heisman contender. 
No, I still had them on my list for similar reasons as DJ Uyunglele. I mean, they're playing Southern Miss. Wasn't the sharpest performance. He was 15 of 29, but he had 175 yards passing and two touchdowns. So I will I will keep him in there more based off of what he did in week one than what he did in week two. But I have him still in there. The other we had Drake May. He, Drake May did not have a great week in, in week two. Barely barely got the the Tar Heels by App State. We also had Travis Hunter in there. And like I think we can always kind of keep Travis Hunter around. I don't know that I would put him in this week, but like his importance to Colorado is so hard to define because like he does so much on defense that you know, you can have interceptions, you can have tackles, but like being a great cornerback is also about like just shutting a guy down so they don't even throw your way. So it's hard to measure a guy who spends half of the time that he's on the field covering wide receivers. So I I, I don't know that he's going, he, he had enough in the tank on week two to like make him be like, oh yeah, that's a guy we've got to keep talking about. But I don't think he's something we, we completely stop, but I don't have him necessarily in the running following week two, which is probably short-sighted, but that's what we do here. Right. I No, I agree with that assessment completely. I think he's not someone, even if we're not having that conversation actively this week, he's not someone that you're ever going to write off altogether. Yep, absolutely. All right, Jamie, any final parting thoughts about week two in college football or maybe potentially something you're looking forward to in week three? You know... My parting thoughts are that this might be a really rough season for me. And so I think that I'm just going to go all in on Colorado for some fun times. Like y'all, they are so fun to watch. I am really excited to see what they can do this season. I think they really are like the real deal. And I, yeah, they're, you know, week three, we start to get into like, there's some, there's some games this week that I'm excited for. Um, I'm looking forward to it. So I'm excited. This is week three and week four tend to be for me when I feel like teams can kind of start to separate themselves from the pack. So we'll see. We'll see how that shakes out. But I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fame and Fortune and everything that goes with it from the fans first sports network college football feed. My name is Matt Timonini. You can follow me on social media at Matt. Jamie, you can follow her at Jamie Urich, J-A-M-I-J-U-R-I-C-H. And you can follow the Fans First Sports Network at Fans First S-N. And you can follow all the work that Jamie and I do over at Land Grant Holy Land at Land Grant 33. Enjoy week three. We'll be back to talk all about it and the best of the best in college football next week on Fame and Fortune and everything that goes with it. 